From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And joining me today is Kelly Madrick, who covers the appropriations process for CQ. Thanks for joining me again, Kelly. Great to be here. So the Senate gets back to work this week after an unusually short recess. And the intention is to jump right back into appropriations. Leaders have said they want to complete what in other years might be considered a Herculean task, passing the two biggest spending bills of the year in a single package. If senators succeed in the next week or two, they will have passed about 63% of all discretionary spending for the coming fiscal year in one fell swoop. So, Kelly, which bills are we talking about here, and why are they getting bundled together? So this is the defense bill, which is around $607 billion, and the labor HHS education bill, which is about $179 billion. Those levels both, again, are discretionary spending. There's also a bunch of mandatory spending on the labor age side that we don't really talk about uh, because appropriators can't control it directly, but it's part of the bill, too. Um, but this is a majority of all their discretionary spending, everything except entitlements. It would be a huge chunk, and it would get a lot of the appropriations business at least before an entire chamber, um, before lawmakers have to jump fully into election season. And it's also, I think it's a, it's a clear uh, strategy by uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to try to get Democrats on board with, you know, the bipartisan advancement of appropriations bills. Because in previous years, Republicans who often say their top priority is defense tried to repeatedly move a defense bill onto the floor in the Senate, which is then rejected yeah, by Democrats because they are uh, worried about how Republicans might just end up you know, funding their their favorite bills and then leaving other bills that are more difficult for them, like Labor H, because of all the programs that are involved in there by the wayside. And so by putting these two together, it's kind of putting the most desired priorities from both Republicans and Democrats in the Senate on one piece of legislation. Okay. But it could still be a heavy lift. The labor, health, and education measure is always a political hot potato, so what are the some of the potential flashpoints that might erupt here? There's a, a lot of them. I mean, this is there's a reason that the labor HHS bill hasn't come to the floor. And I actually looked back and the last time it was ever considered in the House was in 2009 for the fiscal 2010 season. That was under a Nancy Pelosi speakership. Um, and then the, the last time in the Senate was in 2007, October 23rd, 2007. Oh, so it's was a decade ago that we've seen this. Bill. A long time ago wow. in the Senate. And that was actually a really strong bipartisan vote, 75 to 19. And yet it was vetoed by President Bush. So, you know, it just shows that moving this bill is always a very difficult process. Some of the hot flashpoints we should look out for it, clearly, there might be a tariff-style argument because trade adjustment assistance is funded through the unemployment part of the labor bill in Labor HHS. Obviously, the Health and Human Services Department has been managing the detentions of child migrants, which is a flashpoint for Democrats. There's also these other, you know, the the perennial fights about Planned Parenthood, abortion. That's that's also a huge issue. And then I think it's important to note that um, this is the first time that we're going to debate education policy in a very, very long time. And there have been um, a significant number of authorization bills 
and revisions to a federal education law, including that um, big overhaul of, you know, the previous education authorization under George W. Bush, which everyone knows is No Child Left Behind, right? They they authorized in 2015, like a revision of that, but um, they've never had the chance to actually talk about how they're going to spend money um, in accordance with that law. So this is really kind of a, a, a watershed moment for this Yeah, bill. I could see the immigration battle in particular being a, a huge hurdle here, given all the emotions running wild on that and the family separation policy, if, yeah. if they go there, if they really try to go there with this bill. And the question is how long, um, you know, the majority leader is going to leave the floor open for these kinds of debates, because right. I could definitely see kind of an opportunity for grandstanding on both sides, whether it be about controversial um, you know, f- women's health care issues or this immigrant detention issue. And then you wonder if that's just going to suck up all the um, all the discussion and then education and labor kind of get pushed to the side, too. Now, so far, Senate leaders have managed to pass their spending bills without any partisan policy riders that can gum up the process, what Democrats like to call poison pills. And there's certainly plenty of opportunity for partisan riders on the labor health bill here, which is the biggest non-defense bill of the year. What are the odds that Senate leaders can keep the bill clean, do you think? Yeah, so I think that this is going to be a real test of whether the unanimous consent process in the Senate, which you know requires bipartisan cooperation, can knock down some of the most controversial issues that appropriations will face. And um, Because so far this year, they've had a bipartisan commitment to that yeah, in and, the Senate. Yeah, and you've seen votes on motions to table certain amendments, um, which is a basically a procedural move that's done in cooperation with the two appropriations leaders in the Senate. That's Richard Shelby of Alabama and Patrick Leahy, the Democratic leader on the Appropriations Committee of Vermont. Um, they've both worked together to, um, you know, basically take those amendments off the table um, through a vote by the whole body. And the question is, um, can those leaders and the Senate leaders, uh, you know, of both parties agree to do that with this bill, which is just so it's so core to the beliefs of a lot of these senators that it's possible that they could end up being toppled over by controversy. But it seems like there still is a real commitment to do this. And part of it is because there's so much pressure from President Donald Trump about potentially shutting down the government that, you know, it seems like there's a real earnest effort to show that there's lots of work being done and that a shutdown would be totally counter to that. And that is the, the message that both both sides of Congress are trying to drive right now. But even if the Senate manages to pass this package in the next few weeks, it's not clear how the House will react to it. What's the challenge there, Kelly? Yeah, so the House has passed its own defense bill, but not the labor HHS bill. And um, that labor HHS education markup in the House Appropriations Committee, not only was it extremely long, like all day, probably 12 to 13 hours, um, you know, it included a lot of uh, policy writers that are very, very controversial to both sides, especially to Democrats. Um, One I'm thinking of specifically would have basically overridden a decision on immigration law that has to do with the detention of child migrants that keeps child migrants migrants from an extended stay in detention. There was a Republican-led effort to try to get rid of that in the HHS bill that was adopted, and something like that could just really 
um, kill consensus on a bill like that on the House floor. Now, the House is different, though. So maybe they'll go the partisan tack, um, round up all Republicans to support the measure and then go to conference and hash it all out in conference. That has been the Labor HHS um, subcommittee chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, Tom Cole of our Oklahoma's um, stated goal for many months now. So it's really a wait and see on that uh, exact. But even getting Republican unity on this bill could be a challenge. Absolutely. And that's because Republicans are divided when it comes to um, you know, all, any number of issues, whether it's Republicans in border states who are facing pressure from their constituents related to this migrant detention issue, or, um, you know, Republicans who are maybe in more moderate states who don't want to be put on the line for flashpoint uh, women's health issues that will then maybe hurt them in a midterm election. So that's a big question as to whether House leadership wants to put their members up for those types of votes. And we've also heard rumblings that some House conservatives may try to withhold their support from this bill mm -hmm. just to gain leverage down the road on, on border security and that kind of stuff. And part of that has to do with the fact that there's been a kind of attempt to convince all different parties here in this spending negotiation that work is being done in earnest, but there's a bunch of different factions who feel like they could get left behind. And if if conservative Republicans don't see border security, which is a key core value that the president is pushing in his agenda represented in congressional action, then why would they vote for the largest um, non-defense discretionary, discretionary bill, which some of them don't even really believe should exist in that form. Um, there's dramatically different views. But I think that's also just kind of an effect of what the House is like. Um, it's a lot. There's a lot more factions. And so even when the Senate advances this, there's a lot of work ahead to be able to get this in any type of conferenceable form. And support from those conservatives in the House could be critical because the House bills have been much more partisan than the Senate versions, and most Democrats are just dead set against this package as it is right now, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and we saw that in committee, and I'm sure we would see that on the floor if it were to come to the floor because Democrats um, have a big election on their hands too, and so they're going to have a big push um, from inside their base to, you know, take stands against things that a Republican-controlled House would try to put in a health funding bill on the House floor. But one thing, the House Democrats don't think there's enough money in their bill. Oh, absolutely. They think that this has been given short shrift. They've said over and over that they think that, um, you know, the increases to discretionary spending that were agreed to in this, uh, this 2018 budget deal um, are not given the equal amount of increase in the health, labor, and education bill itself, um, that overall there's an increase, but the increase in this bill is is inequitable. It's not fair compared to other bills. And the House bill has plenty of these partisan riders on health care and abortion and other things that are going to make Democrats fight this to the tooth and nail. Yeah, and I think the immigration and the, and the family detention stuff is one that is especially going to be uh, taking up a lot of airtime on the floor. So we'll see how far the Senate gets in the next few weeks as they take up the biggest spending package for fiscal 2019, which is now just around the corner, starting October 1st. My thanks again to Kelly Madrick, our tireless appropriations reporter, for joining me again. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your CQ Budget Tracker. We'll be back next week. 
Until then, you can stay up to date by reading your daily CQ Budget newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or NPR One. And for more budget news, you can subscribe to CQ.com or visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter. The handle is at CQNow or at RollCall. See you next week.